This is episode number 151 of Patrick Jones Baseball, and on this episode we have Danny Burrell. Danny is currently the pitching coach at Georgia Tech University. Uh, previously, he spent the last 18 years um, as a member of the New York Yankees organization, first starting out as a player, drafted in the second round out of Wake Forest, then transitioning into a coach, and then a pitching coordinator for the last five years. In this episode, he talks about what it is like to be a coordinator and to travel to all the different affiliates, work from Dominican players who are 17, 16 years old, all the way up to guys in AAA and in the major leagues as well. He also gives some really cool insight on what it's like to be a college coach. This is his first year at Georgia Tech. So he kind of gives gives some insight into what that's like, what the transition's been like, and you know what he looks for in upcoming high school um, pitchers. Um, if you guys wouldn't mind, please make sure to head on over to uh, iTunes and subscribe, rate, leave a review. Um, it really does uh, mean a lot, and um, it helps the show grow so we can reach more coaches and influence um, the game in, in a better direction. So without further ado, here is Danny Morell. All right, Danny, we are now live. Uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, this is your first year at Georgia Tech as its uh, pitching coach. How has the transition been um, into being a first-year uh, college coach? Transition's been great. You know, it's one of those things that you know I'm. You know, we have a, a freshman class coming in, and I'm kind of equating it to I'm be, I'm a freshman as well. You know, I'm I'm learning the new landscape of college coaching and recruiting and all of that, but. Um, you know, overall lifestyle wise, it's been an absolute joy to, uh, be home with my wife and my son. And, you know, that was, you know, one of the biggest reasons I made the choice to leave the pro ball ranks to come to college is, you know, just change my lifestyle up, slow down a little bit and be around my family a little bit more. What is the recruiting uh, process for, for you, especially being at a bigger school like Georgia tech, do you still have to go out a lot or, is it kind of a scenario where you can kind of pick and choose just because, again, it is Georgia Tech and the ACC? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a give and take. You know, it, it's it's one of those where, yes, it is Georgia Tech, it's ACC, you know, it, the the name recruits itself. But at the same time, it's you do have to go out and about and, and do your thing. But NC2A um, rules and regulations, something I'm still learning on a daily basis. But um, they really protect the coaches and they protect the uh, – uh, you know, the student athletes, future student athletes to um, make sure it's not a, you know, 365, you know, day a year thing where it's every single day you're on the phone, every single day you're recruiting. You know, there's certain times during the year where you can't go off campus. And we're actually in that period right now. We've been in it since uh, since October. So it's been, you know, nice to uh, sit back and do this. But, you know, recruiting wise, it's you know, make some phone calls and rely heavily on, you know, um, the travel ball teams and just word of mouth. And, you know, I, th I think it, it's helped coming in from the pro, pro ball ranks and, you know, some of these kids figure out, you know, what I did previously. And, you know, that, that certainly helps on the uh, recruiting trail. Do you find it, uh, it to be a little bit challenging so far um, coming from professional baseball, you know, you're used to working with, um, well, I guess, you know, you worked with all the different affiliates and, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but, um, kind of like going, looking at 15, 16 year old kids and trying to project where they're going to be 
Um, is that has that been difficult compared to just working with someone who's 24, 25 years old and kind of they are who they are? It honestly, it's been eerily similar between the two because you know, being with the Yankees or any pro sport organization, you're working with some really young kids, you know, specifically um, the Latin American kids who, you know, they're signing at 15 years old. I mean, they don't officially sign until 16, but, you know, culturally, um, educationally, and just physically speaking, you know, I'm evaluating the same way I did with the Yankees and I'm doing it here at Georgia Tech. So, you know, in just in pure terms of evaluations, I'm looking at it in the same way. Um, you know, talent level wise, obviously you got your very, very high end guys in pro ball. Um, it's a little bit, you know, to a lesser extent here in college, but you still have your high end guys. And, you know, it all comes down to what you just said exactly is all right. Three years down the road, you know, what are we looking at? Um, what are we projecting? from a 15-year-old sophomore, 16-year-old sophomore. Um, but we do that the same thing in pro ball. You know, we're looking at a 16-year-old Latin arm thinking, all right, two or three years down the road, you know, what are we looking at projection-wise? Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, I didn't even cross my mind about the uh, Latin players. When you would work with those Latin players, um, you know, going down to the DR and things like that, mm-hmm. um, how would you communicate with them, right? Because, you know, I'm sure as you well know, you want to get to know the player first, and it's I'm sure that's yep. t- hard. To, it is hard to do um, if you aren't can't speak the language. So, what would you? How would you go about kind of um, taking that route? You know, it's it's a good question because just what you said. In order to, and this is just me, it may not be the right thing, but in order for someone to really, you know, learn from somebody or teach, you have to trust, you know, the process. Trust what this person is trying to teach you. So, you know, I would just really just try to, um, you know, put myself in their situations, you know, it's whether hanging out with them away from the field or, you know, just, you know, trying to get to know who they are. Um, you know, at first I didn't know the language, so it was just, you know, trying to lead by example and trying to earn their trust through my due diligence of how I go about my business when I work. And once they see that, you know, that you're in it for them, then it makes it a very easy transition to get on the teaching side of things. And, you know, luckily by the end, uh, especially my last four or five, you know, my last five years as coordinator with the Yankees, my Spanish was good enough to where I could communicate with these guys. And I tell you what, as soon as you open that door of communication, I mean, those guys just eat from your hand, you know, they fully have, you know, vested in what you're trying to do and they, understand that I'm there for them and we're there for them. And so it's much easier once you earn the trust. So you, you'd feel like you are pretty, not fluent, but you can communicate with pretty much any Latin uh, player. Yeah. I mean, it's very, I can easily do it baseball jargon, but as soon as you get outside of the arena of baseball, it gets a little bit more difficult, but um, you know, it's the universal language of throwing a baseball, you know, it's, if I'm trying to say something in Spanish, I encourage them to try to talk to me in English and I would try to talk to them in Spanish. So we're both learning each other's languages and I would, you know, uh, try to help them with language. They would help me with their language. And I mean, more than anything else, you're just breaking down the barrier of that trust. And when you do that, you know, that that's when you get the best teaching moments. Absolutely. Now, when you're 
working with players, um, I guess for the past, you know, however many years you've been with the Yankees, I think you were with the Yankees, what, 18 years total as a player and a coach? Yes. Yep. 18 mm-hmm. years total. What What's the best way to go about um, helping a, helping a pitcher make a change, whether it's, um, you know, mechanical change or throwing a certain pitch um, what take us through that process of, of you of, of having to work with a prospect or something, and they have, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and they know they have to make a change. But it's one thing to know it, but to actually do it, you know, and, and kind of implement it um, is something completely different. Yeah, exactly. I, I think first and foremost, just un- understanding that each guy is an individual. You know, um, how I teach one guy is going to be different than how I teach another, and that's pretty much based on personality. It's based on how these kids learn and. You know, we uh, we make sure that we we made sure with the Yankees that we understood how these kids learned. You know, whether we're you know visually or kinesthetically or auditory. I mean, it's so you have to understand how they learn and is it you know um, you know checks and balances or trying to figure that out. Yeah, it is. But at the same time, through the experiences of being there for 18 years, you start to be able to put these guys in buckets of how they learn. And then once you understand how they learn, then it's just a matter of, all right, here's the deal, but we're going to work on this specific point in your delivery because, and then we give them examples, whether it's through technology, uh, a visual of electronic or high-speed video, or whether it's through data analytics, you know, Rapsodo, TrackMan, um, Yakutech, you know, whatever it may be, you have to make sure that you have an answer to any question they have. And once you are able to provide them with the visual, with the numbers, they are much more inclined to buy into what you're trying to do because it's not just, eh, I think I'll just try this. You know, it's a, you know, I've made a very educated guess based on the visual and based on the data. And then you, you know, provide that to them. And that's how you start the, you know, the um, alterations or any changes you're trying to make delivery wise or pitch package. Is there a certain piece of technology that you would like to use more than anything else? I am a big fan of TrackMan. Um, we have, man, obviously, everybody has that. Um, they came out with a new version that is, you know, spectacular, and you know it, you know it, it does everything that the others do, and probably a little bit more accurately. Um, I like Rapsodo uh, just on the, the fact that. You can get, you know, uh, sustainable information, you know, for that specific pitcher, and you can start putting those guys in buckets as well in terms of where they are. Um, I like Yakertech. It's a different version of Rapsodo. Yeah, Yakertech measures the last 15 feet. Rapsodo measures the first 15, and then they calculate backwards. And uh, Edgertronic has been has been great as well. So, you know, I mean, they're all tools in the tool belt, and that's a it's a, it's a big factor, but it's not the, it's not the complete driver. You know, you have to still bring in all the different facets of technology and your experience as a coach. And that's how you get the, uh, I would say the, the best, uh, opportunity to help a pitcher. One of the, one of the things that I'm kind of curious about and um, and I think you're a person, a perfect person to ask this is you've been in the game for a really long time. You know, you're a coordinator with the Yankees the last five years, spent 18 years with the Yankees. So you've seen a lot of uh, pitchers, you know, you've been a pitcher yourself. How, how much of the technology like actually like helps you realize something that you wouldn't, you would already know without it. If that would, um, if that makes sense. 
No, it does. And it's, you know, it obviously technology and data are, are, are the big, you know, keywords now in baseball and, you know, something that the Yankees never publicized, but, you know, we, we were on the forefront of that for a long, long time. And I've been very fortunate to have those assets with the Yankees and have the capabilities of all the technology. And, you know, it, it, it just, it helps numerate, it helps put a number to what you're seeing visually, you know, and I, I think that's where, you know, yes, you can look at numbers and you can say, Hey, this is how a pitch is going to work. But at the same time, you do have to have some experience. You do have to have that ability to recall. All right. Well, Luis Severino looked like this when he was 19 years old. This is how his pitch package worked. Now he's in the big leagues at 24 years old. You know, how did that development, you know, um, just go over his five years in the minor leagues? And, you know, I think technology and plays an immense role. I think it's obviously it's here to stay. And, you know, it's, it's one of those where you either adapt or they'll find someone else to do it for you. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. Uh, again, just to hear someone like yourself been in the game for so long, been so successful, um, so open to that, that kind of stuff. That's, that's awesome to hear. What, what, what is it like to be a, a coordinator? You're, you were the pitching coordinator um, of the mm-hmm. Yankees the last five years. What what's that lifestyle like? Like what like what is it like? You hear of all coordinators um, of you know all over the place now, but um, experience having experienced that yourself, what was that not just lifestyle like, but like a day to day like as well? Yeah, you know, it's when people ask me that, it's you know, especially guys who are going into that position, they're like, hey, what can I expect? And my answer is expect the unexpected. You know, until you are actually in that chair in that situation it's really hard to sit down and say this is how it's going to be you know you just have to go through it yourself to really appreciate you know every single angle that's coming at you on a daily basis so for me personally uh, depending on where i was we'll just say i'm in dominican for a week at a time and obviously i'm still responsible for triple a double a single a all the way down uh, their days start very early. You know, I'm usually up at, you know, six, six fifteen to go to our staff meeting. Um, you know, any calls that are made in the morning, it could be the rookie ball coaches that play at 10 or 11, the GCLs and DSL Dominican summer league. So I field any questions from those guys. If there were any moves overnight that needed to be made, I'd make sure I'd communicate that with, with our pitching coaches. Um, and then, our guys stretch around seven fifteen down in the DR and I'm on the field and, you know, I'm strapping on the gear. I'm catching these guys. I'm going through PFPs with them, you know, sitting down with the pitching coaches, discussing the plan for each individual pitcher for that day. You know, whether we're working on a curveball grip, whether we're working on a changeup grip, you know, whatever is paramount in his development plan, that's what we're attacking. So we'll go through that side work and, BPs and this and that, you come in for a little bit, go right back out for the game. And I turn myself into a scout. Then I'm a straight evaluator. I'm evaluating that specific outing, uh, whether it's command grades, quality grades on each pitch package or pitch type, um, sit through those nine innings or 10, whatever it may be. And so that's my morning and afternoon. And now I have to wait for the, you know, other affiliates to start. (laughs) So get a little, try to get a little respite there. You try to get away for a little bit, but now you're talking to the full season affiliate pitching coaches, making sure they're lined up for that evening. Um, 
there may be a move going on in the big leagues. We may have to hold back a starter, hold back a reliever based on the needs in the big leagues. And then we have to uh, manipulate that rotation, that roster to make sure we can cover innings. And, and then I'll sit down in front of my, at seven o'clock, I'll turn on my iPad, my computer, my other phone, um, start watching the different affiliations, you know, watching every single affiliate, you know, more so just so I can just watch the guys pitch. But, you know, so we go through that and then you wait for the big leagues. You know, if Brian Cashman needs to have a pitcher for that, you know, the next day, you know, now it's 11 o'clock midnight waiting to hear from them. Hey, we're good to go for tomorrow. No worries. Or, Hey, so-and-so went down. We need two guys from AAA. And now that begins the process of promotions from single A to double A, double A to AAA, triple A to the big leagues. So it's a, uh, as you can tell, a 24-7 job. And I absolutely loved it. You know, it was an honor, not just to work for the Yankees, but to be in a, be a coordinator for that organization or any organization is an honor. But, you know, it was a great learning experience and you really get to see the inner workings of how, how an organization works, especially one, you know, the caliber of the New York Yankees. So you would just go from so, like that example you gave, you were in the DR. So once you left there after a week or a week and a half, he would just go to another affiliate and do the exact same thing. Yeah, and it, you know, th- there's also special assignments. You know, I'll use Charleston as an example. You know, we always our Charleston rotation is usually one of the most volatile rotations, but it's also that's where the most scouts go, just because they see what's in that rotation. I mean, heck, last year, I think every single pitcher in the rotation, we had six guys in that rotation that averaged above 94, with three of them reaching 100 pretty much every game. So obviously, a bunch of scouts were in there watching. I had a a lot of special assignments, whether it was myself or Scott Aldred, John Kramer at the time. You know, so we would spend a lot of time in Charleston or wherever our high-profile prospects were. You know, that's where I would go. And so I would go from the DR up to Charleston, you know, sit on that team for a good six days, sometimes a few more, depending on how those pitchers were doing. And, you know, I mean, I rarely planned a flight two days in advance just because things change so quickly. You know, you can always try to plan out your, you know, your 14 day trip or something like that, but inevitably something comes up along the line. And I learned after a while, it's like I talked to the travel agent so much. I'm like, I, I can't even plan a flight two days in advance. I'd wait till the day before just to make sure, like, all right, I'm going here tomorrow. So it was just kind of up in the air, but you knew you were going to be on the road for a long time. It just, you know, changes, um, plans change quite often. I guess you're, uh, you got a lot of hotel points. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you know what? I, I mean, since I lived in Tampa, or I lived in Tampa, I didn't have nearly the amount of points as other coordinators because, you know, some guys lived up in Michigan. Scotty was up in Michigan, so God, he'd spend even more time on the road than I did, just because I was able to stay at home when I was covering the our high A team or one of our GCL teams. Is that why you lived in Tampa? Because that's where the headquarters were. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. You know, when I I got drafted by the Yankees back in two thousand, and you know, it was just. I knew, you know, instead of moving three times during the year, we'd move once. You know, my wife and I uh, built a house down there in 2002. And as a player, it just, it makes it easier. You, your spring training facilities in Tampa, 
you have two affiliates down there. So you don't have to worry about moving down to Tampa for spring training and moving to an apartment for the season. So, you know, we were very fortunate and we were able to do that financially, but you know, that was, yeah, that, that's the biggest reason guys do that. Gotcha. Yeah. That's interesting. How many, so how many days would you say you were on the road um, during the year? Um, at least three weeks out of the month, I'd, I'd be on the road, you know, some day, some months it was less, some months it'd be 28 out of 31, you know, just depending on the needs of, you know, where I needed to be, you know, if a lot of our top guys were in Tampa, I'd spend a lot of time in Tampa, which was nice. Um, but you know, even when you're off as a coordinator and I'm saying off with the, uh, the air quotes right now, it's you're still on because you have to be on top of every single affiliate, every single pitcher, every single day, you know? So even though I'm at home, technically, you know, I'm still doing the same work as I would be as if, you know, if I were on the road. So I'm still staying up and watching the games and making sure, you know, each team can finish games pitching wise. If there's injuries, getting guys from GCL to somewhere, you know, so even on off days, you know, you're, you're still locked in on what uh, the organization's up to. So as a pitching quarter, you're really you're you're also responsible for making those those uh, transaction moves too. One hundred percent, yes. And I obviously we we have a you know the chain of command just like anyone else. But you know um, Scott Aldrin and myself, and then John Kramer who just came on this past year. But you know Scott and I would handle those transactions. You know we would you know, uh, get in touch with Kevin Reese and Eric Schmidt and give them our recommendations on who should move, where, why they should move, you know, so we give them how many pitches a certain pitcher can go that day, you know, so it's, we're in constant contact with, you know, Brian Cashman and his guys up there and also Kevin Reese and Eric Schmidt, just to make sure that, you know, we are covered at every affiliate. Yeah, I tell you what, just just listening to you say that, it, you can definitely tell. Um, you know, you put in a, a serious amount of time um, as a coordinator these the last five years. At what point did you start to think about this has a shelf life, and I, I need to start looking uh, to what's next? You know, I I think for the most part, it's one of those where at the end of the day, I'm coaching baseball. You know, so I still have that. I mean the the passion for the game and you know I, I didn't look at it as a shelf life more so than all right I've done this for five years I've had opportunities in the major leagues which have been great but you know it it got to the point where all right I'm 40 years old you know I've been doing this for five years I can certainly continue to do it I love doing it it's been a great experience but you know ultimately you know what's the biggest thing for me what's most important in, in my life and it wasn't that I didn't love coordinating. It was just an opportunity like this comes up and, you know, it, it gives you a chance to uh, change gears, you know, and, and slow down a little bit and, you know, try to enjoy, you know, my son's teenage years as he gets into middle school and high school. Does your son play at all? Plays basketball. Plays basketball. <laughs> he pretty it's good? funny. He's been at, yeah, he's a, he's, yeah, he, he's a good little player, man. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's 13 years old and, um, you know, still hasn't gone through that big growth spurt yet. So we were at a game last week and I walk in the gym and there's two or three kids from the other team that are taller than I am. And I'm six, three. 
Jeez. And I'm looking and looking at my son, and he's I don't know five three, five four, and you know still you know just waiting to get that big growth spurt. And I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be entertaining to watch. <laughs> you know, but he loves basketball, and um, he likes baseball too. But I, I think ultimately, he he told me a couple years ago, he's like, Dad, you know, I just I just really it's just kind of boring to me. <laughs> like that's fine, man. I was like, don't I'm whatever you want to do, you know, as long as you're happy and as long as you're doing something, then I'm fine with it. But I said, we're not sitting in here inside watching TV on the, you know, your Xbox and all this. I said, you're still going to do, you know, some things. And, but yeah, he's really busy with basketball and he actually came down with me to uh, practice the last couple of days at Georgia tech. And he's like, dad, can I start playing again? Like, yeah, if you want to, you know, but you know, whatever you want to do, but if you want to get going again, we'll certainly try it. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Yeah, it is tough to to see sometimes that when when parents push their kids to to do something they don't want to do. Um, so it's definitely cool to to see that you just you just want your kid to just do something you don't really care what it is. Yeah, and I you know I think ultimately it, the real reason came out. He was like, Dad, you know, I I just. I look at you and what you did and you were a professional baseball player. And, you know, at the time I was coordinating with the Yankees. He's like, I, I just feel so much pressure to be as good as you are. And, you know, as a father, you just, you start to think, man, what did I, did I do something wrong for him to feel this way? But, you know, I just, I, I feel so bad for him and, you know, other people who have professional, you know, sports people as their mother or father, I mean, I'm sure they understand that, but you know, I, I didn't understand, you know, where he was coming from, but I obviously didn't want him to feel that way. But, you know, I always tried to be that dad that was out in left field behind the fence. You know, I was very hands-off in terms of coaching and I wanted him to make his own direction and, you know, make his own career, whatever it may be. And, you know, I kept it quiet for a long time about what I did and, someone found out later on. And I think that's when he started feeling the pressure. Well, Oh, that's Danny Burrell's son. That's, you know, the pitching coordinator. He played for the Yankees and, you know, that, that just, you know, I, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody to have that pressure. And I feel bad that he did feel the pressure, but he's happy doing what he's doing now. Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely understand. I mean, that's uh, I think that's tough, tough task for any, any kid. Now when trying to transition into uh, going back a little bit now to the college recruiting side, there's only 11.7 mm -hmm. scholarships. How do you divvy up like different percentages um, to different players? Like, how does that work? Great question. If you could, uh, I'm still learning how to do all this. You know, it's obviously, you know, we're one of the, the few teams that have such harsh or not, I shouldn't say harsh, but strict regulations in terms of scholarships and, you know, you have 35 guys on the team and you have to divvy up the 11.7 to those guys. And, you know, especially at an institute like Georgia Tech, you know, it's a very reputable um, institute in terms of where we rank nationally, engineering, business, computer science. So you're, you're fighting an uphill battle on both sides. You know, you're fighting an uphill battle because of the academics, but you're also fighting the uphill battle because you have 11.7 scholarships. And, you know, we, we've been able to make it work so far. Um, I'm still really, uh, really wet behind the ears with this. So, you know, I'm sure I'll get to know the process a little better as we go. But thankfully, I have James Ramsey as the recruiting coordinator and Danny Hall, um, head coach, has been here 27, 28, 26 years, something like that. And 
you know, so I, I, I rely heavily on them. I give them my recommendations, my evaluations, and, you know, it's, Hey, this is what I think he's going to be. This is how he looks right now. And we try to base their scholarships off of that. How many kids do you get to that uh, email or text you every single day uh, wanting to get recruited? <laughs> uh, uh, it depends. You know, it, it's gotten a little, uh, uh, it's gotten pretty aggressive here in the last uh, four months. And, you know, I, I'm used to getting a lot of texts and emails anyway, just because of what I did with the Yankees. So it's not nearly the amount that I received when I was with the Yankees, but you know, I, I admire these kids who reach out to you and, and this and that, but you know, it's, you still have to filter through. Um, I'll do my background work on them if we think they're, you know, Georgia tech caliber, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a daily thing. We're five, 10, 15 emails a day where you're just looking at different players and, um, that's why we, we rely so heavily on the travel ball coaches, you know, to help that and, you know, just to help give us information and, and all that. Is it at a point now where you want, before you, before you, um, offer a kid a scholarship, you want to know his spin rate, um, on his fastball and just all the other uh, metrics that go along with it, not just how hard he throws. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it paints a better picture you know, for what the pitcher really, you know, really does. And that's, you know, I, I'm sure I get, you know, um, I don't know if crap's the right word. I'm sure I get crap from other coaches around the country. You know, I'm, I'm over there doing high speed camera. You know, I have, you know, capabilities to get track man data and I have my spin gun that gives velocity and, and spin rate. So, you know, I'm able to, you know, look at the break X and break Z on these pitches and, it just paints a better picture, a more complete picture of not just pure velocity, because as you know, I mean, you've been around it. A guy throwing 95, there's way more than 195, you know, and it's because of the underlying peripherals, you know, it's, it's spin, it's axis, it's, you know, efficiency, it's horizontal vertical break, you know, all these different things that really add up. And then you mix in the, um, the biggest thing I look at would be the high speed camera to look at a kid's delivery because there are several checkpoints that you can look at and I'll keep that to myself, but you know, there's certain checkpoints in the delivery where you can really pinpoint four and say three years down the road, because he has these four checkpoints, he's going to throw much harder than he is right now, just because of the way his body moves. That's it. That's a good point. Did you learn that with the Yankees or is that just something it just been happened over time? Those like four uh, Both, both. You know, it's you know, I, I spent a lot of time before I was a coordinator. Um, you know, I just had that thirst for knowledge, the thirst to, you know, if there was always something I could do to get better as a coach. And I wish I were like that as a player, to be honest. You know, because I think my thirst for knowledge as a coach was far greater than when I was a player. And obviously, the technology was different back when I played. But you know, having the availability of the tech and the visuals and the analytics, you know, so I, I really just dove in every single off season and try to learn as much as I could. And, you know, I, I think that not only helped me progress, but it helped me become a better coach. And it also helped me understand that I'm not even close to knowing it all. And as soon as I get, you know, content or feel stable in the fact that I'm really good at what I'm doing, that's when I get stagnant and that's when someone passes me up. So, you know, I, as a coach, you just got to make sure that you have that thirst for knowledge. And as long as you continue to have that thirst, you're going to get better. 
So you said something pretty interesting there. You said like as a player, you wish you were as hungry for the information. What if like what if you're an overthinker though, and if by you acquiring all that information, that's just like paralysis by analysis for you? Yeah, and that's I've gotten that question a lot. You know, with you know the introduction of all this and data, and these kids can go anywhere now. They can go to any website. They can find their spin rates more so in pro ball, but you know it's. But what I love is the fact that the kids, they're asking questions. So that's what I've been really proud of and happy to see with the kids here at Georgia Tech is, you know, their thirst for knowledge is just immeasurable in in some counts. I mean, can you have paralysis by analysis? I'm 100% you can. But I think as a coach, that's where you come in as, all right, here's the deal, bud. Here's what we're looking at. Here's what we're striving for. Let's keep the focus on that. Yes, you can educate yourself on the other numbers. But because as a coach, we have and we have the knowledge of that information, then we can teach them and direct them and steer them in the direction we want them to go. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely makes sense. How so you said overall, the the players have been really receptive for kind of what you've been teaching um, since you've Mm -hmm. since you've gotten to Georgia Tech. Oh, yeah, Barry. Yeah. And it's. Yeah, I mean, we are talking about Georgia Tech, too, you know, so, you know, it's a, a different, not, it's a different caliber of students, you know, a lot of these kids are engineers, so just the basis of numbers is is what they love, you know, and the technology aspect of it, so when I came in here and introduced, you know, the Rapsodos and Yakker Techs and TrackMan and Metrotronic and some other things that we did, it's, we would actually have classes, we'd sit down and before I introduced Rapsodo to them, I actually sat down and, you know, walked them through what Rapsodo is, what it does, here are the different measurements. And, you know, it'd be a 45 minute session of just teaching these guys an introductory, you know, phase of what it does and how we learn from it. And, you know, these guys are just reeling off questions one after another. And, so obviously they understand it, and now it's my job to make it applicable to what they do on the mound. Gotcha. Danny, really appreciate you coming on, man. This is a ton of fun, and um, again, man, I just really uh, really admire what you've done and, and look forward to following you guys this year at Georgia Tech as well. Well, it's really appreciated, bud. Yeah, thanks for uh, reaching out about this, and yeah, it's been fun.